verse to follow as I read from uh, Psalm 103. I just I try to remember occasionally to make the point that I'm reading from the uh, American Standard version of the scriptures, the 1901 American Standard. I'm going to read Psalm 103 from verses 19 through the end, verse 22. And I'd like to ask Tim Failer if he would uh, pray God's blessing upon the word. Psalm 103 at verse 19. Jehovah hath established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless Jehovah, ye his angels, that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless Jehovah, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless Jehovah, all ye his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless Jehovah, O my soul. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to come together to praise you, to worship together, to hear and sing and listen to the teaching of your word. We thank you for the possibility that you have given us to you family participate in this angel song. We ask that you allow us to fully praise you to glorify you in all that we do. We know that it is only through your gift and your works that we are capable of singing this angel song or this song, Psalm of David. You know that the only thing that separates us who can sing it from those in the world and those around us is your gift and your works and nothing that we provide. We ask you to Bless us with humility as we go forward in the world as well as worship you. We ask your blessing on David as he teaches us and preaches your word tonight. We ask your spirit to move in him and uh, in us, in our hearts and ears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to be looking only at the one verse tonight. Verse 20, bless Jehovah. He is angels that are mighty in strength that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. I don't know how many of us feel like or recognize whichever terms we wish to use that we actually do hear through the gift of faith, hear the voice of God. I'm not talking about audible voices. When we read the scriptures in faith, praying perhaps unto God previously that he would enable us to hear his voice in the word, that we have actually heard his voice. Again, I'm not talking about audible sounds, but just through faith in our hearts and our minds hearing the voice of God recognizing through that given faith that this is the word of our God. Bless Jehovah, ye his angels that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. 
Having summoned all his faculties, the psalmist, uh, David, of course, enumerating all of God's benefits in this beautiful and lovely Psalm 103, and soaring in gratitude to the highest point that he is in his own view and in his humanity and in his sinful humanity and limitations, soaring in gratitude to the highest point that he seems to be able to uh, ascend unto, he finds through God the Holy Spirit that all he had desired is not even half accomplished in what he has pronounced in these 19 or 20 verses so far. His desire, of course, at the beginning, bless Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Jehovah, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's looking at, back at that, I would suggest, and feeling that he hasn't quite accomplished that which he desired. Not even half accomplished what he had hoped for and desired in penning this or composing this song. He finds his faculties inadequate. His enumeration incomplete. And his gratitude imperfect. I would ask ourselves the question, have we not often felt this same way? Or could we put it or turn it around, put it another way? Have we ever felt our faculties adequate? Have we ever felt that our enumeration of all the blessings we have received from God to be complete? Have we ever imagined that our gratitude was perfect? I believe that David is coming to this place, coming to this position, understanding that he hasn't accomplished half of what he had hoped to accomplish. His desire in composing this psalm has been, of course, as we've just intimated at the very beginning, has been to bless Jehovah, to bless his name, to magnify his grace, to magnify his name before all who might be underneath the hearing of this psalm being sung, underneath the, this psalm being read in their hearing, or perhaps being able to read it for themselves. His wish, David's wish was to magnify the name of his God, the name of Jehovah, his desire was to magnify God's amazing grace. And he enumerated all these avenues, if we can call it that, uh, the directions from which that grace was shown to him and those of his acquaintance and his nation and so on. But he wants to magnify the name of Jehovah, wants to magnify his goodness, to bless his name, to bless is God. He had set before his mind, we can imagine. I think it's obvious that he had set before his mind and his heart 
these many memories of what God had done for him. I was looking recently at Psalm 78, and that's a history of Israel in that lengthy psalm. In fact, my wife and I have been singing that in our, our morning and evening worship. And it's, it's a, similar to this in the sense that it's a repetition of all that God had done in and for the nation of Israel, his people. But David mustered up all that he knew, all that he could think of in the past and in the present to help him praise Jehovah God. All that he could think of. His thoughts had led him, as you will recall in each and every one of these verses, his thoughts had led him from mercy to mercy to reflect upon the infinite goodness of God, his God, his Father, his pitying Father. More than anything else, two truths are impressed, it seems, upon his mind. And one commentator has written those potential thoughts in this way of suggestion. And he has said that God is worthy, that the two truths impressed upon David's mind, and perhaps ours when we read this or sing it, that two truths are impressed upon our minds. And these are the two truths that God is worthy of infinite blessing and that all blessing is unworthy of his infinite excellence. Even as we may read in another psalm, in Psalm 148 and verse 13, let them praise the name of Jehovah for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and the heavens as high as the heavens. David used in this psalm. His glory is far above, infinitely above the earth and the heavens. And David wrote in Psalm 139 in the sixth verse, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Even these thoughts of this knowledge, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's more than, than I can grasp. It's more than I can wrap my arms around or wrap my mind around or wrap my heart around. It's too high for me, infinitely too high. I cannot attain unto it. This is the position, I believe, that we find David at this present verse 20 of Psalm 103. He can't attain unto it. He has exhausted the train of his thoughts, of his imagination, of his memory. He needs help. He stands somewhat, I believe, like Isaiah stood in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. We just sang a 
a paraphrastic composition, I would submit, of Isaiah 6 in that song we last sung. What we read, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. We see right here the humility of these angels, these seraphim, covering their faces, even though they're sinless, mind you, covering their faces, covering their feet in humility and flying about, we might submit, in obedience to whatever the will of God is for them, ready to respond to whatever he would have them to do. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, Jehovah of hosts. I suspect that David felt like that when he approached this point in the composition of this psalm. He realized that he, again, of course, that he is a sinful man, and that how can he possibly compose any further? How can he build upon this? How can he add to it? Where is he to go from here? I cannot attain unto it, he has said. And here is another sinner like himself, that is Isaiah. And David, as it were, cries with him, Woe is me, I'm undone. How can I rise above this earthly worship? I desire to, to praise Jehovah with clean lips. But I'm a man of unclean lips. One writer has written upon Isaiah 6, saying those whose natures are sinful cannot praise God as they should. This elicits that cry from Isaiah and ourselves, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. David reminds us, or at least he reminded me, of the woman in Luke 15, 8 through 10, <clears throat> those parables of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, and of the prodigal son in that chapter. But the woman that had uh, 10, I believe it was, silver coins or pieces of silver, and she lost one of them, and she swept all through her house. We've all looked for things that were lost. And we look, and we look, and we look. In fact, I could mention that I lost my Bible. <laughs> I, I didn't actually lose it. I'd misplaced it, but I couldn't remember where it was. I'd been here at the church uh, uh, Thursday before, last weekend, and I was scared to death that I had done something that I had done once or twice 
putting something on the top of the car as I got in and then drove off. I couldn't, I could hardly even stand the thought of losing this. I know I've got others, and I've even got other 1901s, but uh, anyway, it was discovered in the car, <laughs> underneath something. But I thought about this woman that, that found her coin, and what did she do? She called all her friends and neighbors, and I felt like doing that. Look, I found my Bible that I've had 35 years. Rejoice with me. And I think that's what David is trying to do here. I want to call God's people. I want to call all people to come and praise God, worship him, adore him, love him. I don't feel adequate to it. I need help. He wants to call. He says to himself, I know what I'll do. I'm going to call the angels. And he calls upon the angels to bless Jehovah, oh my soul, with him. Bless God. Bless Jehovah, ye his angels. Come on, angels. Gather around me and let's bless Jehovah together. He wishes for the numbers. He wishes for the numbers to be expanded beyond numbering. He would have, we will see all creation join him. And he talks in the next couple of verses about all his hosts and all his works. He wants all creation to join in adoring God, in praising him, in blessing his name, in worshiping him. He would have all creation to join in this happy and grand chorus of praising God. Something of what we enjoyed in that hymn we sang, I believe. Holy, holy, holy. Not that numbers, of course, are anything to our God. He can provide all the numbers that he has needed, does need, or ever will need. But nonetheless, they are, they certainly are something to men. Men just like David. Men like me, men like you, women like you. They mean something. If only, if only to bring in more voices. If only to be able to bring in tenors and baritones and, and altos and sopranos to bring in that harmonious, beautiful blend by gathering more and more to praise God. Numbers do seem to mean something to men. Why is it that people go to football games? It puzzles me, and, and I really enjoy watching college football. Don't misunderstand. But why do people go to football games? <laughs> Consider that. Consider why they go. Driving miles or flying miles even, whether the weather's good or whether the weather's bad, they will be in their seats in the stadium. 
why is it that, why is that to be so? Why is that how people are? When they can see the game far better on their television set, they can see replays, they can see close-ups. Why would anybody want to sit in that stadium with all that noise? That's, it. That's exactly why they're there. They love that noise and they're part of it. It's, this, it's people coming together. And sadly, some of them are probably there to worship their team, to worship the orange or the red. But I think it's just a human factor that we like to gather together to, to ha have a, what do they call it, a tailgate party or something? We like to get together when we have shared interests and so on. David wants to get people together to share their interest in Jehovah God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's calling upon the angels to help him. I believe this is something of David's motive, the motive of his heart, the motive of his mind, wanting to, to bring people together to praise God, to honor their sovereign God, the one who has saved them, redeemed them, the one who has given his only begotten son, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. He wants great numbers around him to rejoice and raise the roof, if you will, in praising God. One has suggested, and I would be inclined to agree with him, the believer cannot be satisfied to praise God alone. Well, yes, he can, of course. Many have been forced to praise God alone, some for a number of years, but you know that the Lord has appointed the Lord's day and he's appointed his people to gather together. What's that all about? There is something special about gathering with the people of God, communicating with them, communing with them as we commune together with God the Father through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of God the Holy Spirit. It's a commune, community activity, isn't it? Fellowshipping, true Christian fellowship is a blessing, a lovely thing. He feels it to be, this gathering, he feels it to be not only his duty to gather together, but his supreme delight. I was glad somebody prayed this morning when they said, let us go to the house of Jehovah. Are you glad? Are you glad Sunday morning that it's time to go to the house of God? I think that's what's behind David's plea in this psalm and his praise and his wanting more, more mouths, if you will, to praise God with him. He wants companionship. He wants fellowship. He wants help, and he wants it from these sinless creatures. He doesn't believe, he evidently doesn't believe that there are enough beings to adequately glorify Jehovah and bless his holy name. There's just simply aren't enough. 
If he had a hundred tongues, one has said he could more than occupy them in this glorious theme. Well, we know one who wrote over a thousand tongues, don't we? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. And how we rejoice to sing of our Lord and Savior, to sing of our God and Father, to sing with His people, our brothers and sisters, His other sons and daughters, to sing praise unto Him. God's goodness is inexhaustible. His love is ineffable or unspeakable or unutterable. Again, we can't attain unto it. His benefits are immeasurable. His mercy is everlasting, we've been seeing. Everlasting to everlasting. His kingdom ruleth over all. Of course, Angels are our fellow subjects. They're subjects of God. And David calls upon them to help him worship our God together. Along with our fellow subjects, I can imagine David, when he wrote this psalm of praise, that he had this in mind. We desire to sing, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. A psalm of praise, a psalm of David. How can we possibly sing with holy angels? The praises of a holy God. We have sinned and fallen. They stand steadfast in their original position. We cannot rise to the high note of an unfallen joyous angel. But at the same time, he cannot descend to the deep note of a once fallen but restored and joyous man. What, what's the answer to this apparent dilemma? Well, it isn't a real dilemma. We have harmony here again. <laughs> Tenors and basses, uh, the sopranos and altos, we have harmony here between those that stood steadfast, those angels and redeemed sinners coming together to sing God's praise. The harmonies of heaven are perfected by their united song of praise to God. Look ahead, one is written, to the new year of eternity. When the hosannas of believers shall be in unison forever with the hallelujahs of angels. All singing praise to God. To unfallen angels, services, joy, obedience, and gladness. In that grand new year, we shall be like them that live and move and have their being in God. We shall be singing in unison with them. Bless Jehovah, ye his angels that are mighty in strength. These are not 
weak, effeminate beings that he is calling upon to help him to bless the name of Jehovah. These are mighty beings. Mighty beings in every way. And you know as well how that their numbers are boundless. Yet we read in 2 Kings 19.35 that it required only one, the angel of Jehovah, in the case of God versus the Assyrians in 2 Kings 19.35. Listen to what one angel did and it came to pass that night that the angel of Jehovah went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And what was it that Jesus reminded his disciples of in Matthew 26, 53, when he was being apprehended by the henchmen of the scribes and Pharisees and priests, what did he tell them? When he told them to put away the sword, he said, Or thinkest thou that I cannot beseech my father? And he shall send even now more than 12 legions of angels. The angels are matchless in strength and they're matchless in number. And they simply wait to be bidden by the Lord. Bless Jehovah, ye his angels that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word. Greatly more important is this feature of their beings, that they fulfill his word. You probably didn't even know that they read the scriptures, but here we read that they fulfill his word. We should also be in that number that fulfill his word. Or as some translations have it, that keep his commandments. Of course we should be in that number, but are we? The reality is that we are not. We may try. Hopefully we try. We may wish to do so, but we are not sinless beings. One day or one hour proves that to us, doesn't it? But one day our wills shall be melded as the angels are into God's will. That they shall be altogether one will. As it is now with these angels that fulfill his word. They fulfill it. Their will is to do the will of God. In other words, to implicitly obey his will, what he commands. Such is the outward life of angels. It has been said they do God's commandments, fulfilling his will. They spend their existence in, perfect, in a perfect circle of obedience. Unimaginable to us. But how is it that they fulfill his will? What is the means, in other words, toward that blessed end for them? How is it that they manage to fulfill his will? Well, we read the remainder of this verse. 
that speaks of this means, I believe. We're told that they hearken unto the voice of his word. They hearken unto his voice. Let us be very clear. It does not say that they hear the voice of his word, but rather that they hearken unto the voice of his word. They hearken unto it. They fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. What is the big difference, you say, perhaps, between hearing and hearkening? Very much every way. One difference between angels and ourselves is that the angels are listening for his voice, eager to catch the slightest intimation of the divine will. They are anxiously waiting for him to bid them to do something. They're like those maids spoken of in Psalm 123. Unto thee do I lift up mine eyes, O thou that sittest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look unto Jehovah our God until he have mercy upon us. They're looking to see some twitch or movement, some signal given by the hand or by a look of the eye from God. They're waiting. They're hearkening. They want to know what God's will is for them to do. And they stand ready to do it, eager to do it. They're watching and waiting for the slightest signal and ready to leap into obedience. That's what hearkening involves. To hear by listening, really listening. To listen, to attend, to pay attention by listening. That would be a key in our school systems to pay attention with it, to hearken. I don't know if you've heard the acronym. I guess it would be called an acronym. Hoo-ah. I've seen it or heard it somewhere or other. And so I may not be correct in this, but from what I gather, it's a military response. But the HUA is an acronym, H-U-A. I was never in the military, so I, and I'm not pretending that I was. But I understand that it's a military acronym when you say HUA. It's a positive response to what the direction has just been given. And the acronym H means heard. U means understood. A means acknowledged. Hooah! And it just came to my mind that that's, that's what the angels are doing, waiting for that signal. And when they hear it, they heard, they're hearkening. They understood, they're hearkening. They acknowledged, they're hearkening. Waiting, waiting for the hand of their master to move or his eye to turn toward them. The angels hear, they understand, they acknowledge. They really listen. They attend. They pay attention by listening. I was reminded of an illustration that I heard years ago in a message. When I say years ago, I mean 35 years ago, about the time I got this. But two boys were out playing. 
in an empty lot near their homes. The mother of one of them calls out, Johnny, come home. <coughs> Johnny doesn't flinch. She calls again, Johnny, come home. Still no reaction to her call. One or two more calls go unheeded until she calls out, Johnny, come home. Johnny says to his pal, I have to go now. His friend inquired why it was that he ignored several calls until finally responding to this finally call, final call. Johnny shared with his playmate, this time she really means it. Angels here, angels understand that God always means it. Angels acknowledge without delay. They attend to every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of Jehovah. Bless Jehovah, ye his angels that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Let us pray. Mm. O oh Lord our God, that we would behave more as angels, that we would be standing, as it were, at attention, waiting, waiting for any signal that thou might be pleased to give us and that we'd be ready to respond. We confess, O oh Lord our God, that we are not like that, but we pray that thou would make us like that. Sanctify us by thy truth, we ask. Thy word is truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> You'd stand for the benediction from Jude. Twenty-four. Now unto him that is able to guard you from stumbling and to set you before the presence of his glory without blemish in exceeding joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time and now and forevermore. Amen.